Our message today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Here are these words. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They ne neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you all, but if you peruse anything like psychology today, or you just Google the word um, anxiety or worry, the literature out there is pretty deep. There's uh, a ton of it. And uh, it turns out, and it might be a shocker to you, that stress and anxiety is bad for you. I uh, don't know if you know that. I'm pretty sure some of these gray hairs are from my children. And uh, some of you who have uh, more gray hair, I'm guessing it's probably from your children too. Um, and maybe it's from people around you that cause anxiety. Maybe it's from, uh, you know, logging into your IRA and going, oh my gosh, and another gray hair comes out. I don't know what it is. Stress and anxiety and worry is certainly not good. And it came as a little bit of a surprise to me, actually, that Jesus teaches about anxiety. He teaches about worry, because Jesus is a good teacher. And what he has to say that we heard in the Gospel of Matthew, I think is really applicable to us, uh, not only in this season of life that we find ourselves in, but really for all sorts of seasons. Someone once said that worry is like prayer, but it's in reverse. <laughs> worry is like prayer, but it's in reverse. It just makes things really, really, really big. And so today we're going to focus on the antidote and a particular approach to anxiety that I think will be helpful for us. So Truth in Advertising, we pulled some of this series from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor down at North Point in Georgia. And some of you may not know Andy Stanley, but you might know his father, Charles Stanley. He used to be really big on the radio a while ago. Uh, and so he comes from a, a great pedigree, a great lineage of pastors. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about who this sermon series is for and who it's not for. I w worked with a, uh, a lady once at one of my other churches uh, who literally had anxiety so bad that every time she hit a bump in the road, she thought she had hit somebody. And so she had to go to her doctor and seek medication. This sermon series is not for that kind of anxiety. Okay, nod your head, you're following along. Those of you who seem to have absolutely no anxiety, I don't know who you are. Uh, so this sermon series is not for you. Okay, this topic is for everybody sort of in the middle. Okay, this topic is for folks who have anxiety in general, right? Not generalized anxiety, that's a clinical um, diagnosis but who have just struggled with anxiety in general. It might be about the future. It might be about your job, 
right? How many of you have had to shift your job responsibilities because of COVID, right? How many of you in retirement are like, I don't know what the market's going to do. I don't know when I can go see my family again. I don't know about if I can go to that funeral. I don't know if I can do this or that. That's all anxiety. That's all worry. We all deal with this in this particular season. And if you're not dealing with it now, I promise you will deal with anxiety in the future. So uh, if this doesn't preach for you now, just put it in your back pocket and pull it out in a couple years. You can call me and say, that was good. I, I just wasn't listening. It wasn't for me then. That's okay. So what did we learn last week as Pastor Peter opened us up on this series and ta- talked a little bit about it? First, we learned that um, worrying about anything does not add value. It brings no clarity to any decisions that you have to make. All right? If you need to make a decision and you're just worrying about it, guess what? You still need to make a decision. <laughs> so you should probably make a decision. It brings no clarity. The second thing we learned is that we are to trust in God. Right? We are to trust in God. That's like the definition of faith. Right? We don't know everything that's going to happen. We can't control everything. We just take that next step and we trust in God. The third thing we learned about last week was what we worry about reflects our devotion. What we worry about reflects our devotion. We worry about the things we care about. So when you worry about your family, that's good. I I might even say that's almost holy work to worry about your family because that reflects your devotion. When you worry about your church, that's good. I'd say that that's holy work. When you're worrying about how the gospel is being spread in your community, that's good. You should engage in that sort of mental game. That's okay, but you can't stay there. Right? God's calling us to take the next step and to trust God in the process. So that's what we learned last week. If you missed it, there's my recap. And so today, I want to pick up where Matthew left off. So we're going to have some verses on the screen here in a little bit. We will revisit. We'll look at them sort of verse by verse and walk through it. But before we do that, let's get oriented to the Gospel of Matthew first. Nod your head. You're following along. Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. It's in the New Testament. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew finds itself paired up with Mark and Luke. We call that the synoptic tradition, which means same or similar. They all pull from sort of the same source, right? You read John's Gospel, and you go, this guy, he's got some cool stories. They're very different. But you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you go, these guys copied each other, right? They get an F on their homework. Uh, So they all pull from the same sort of documentation, the author of Matthew is probably Matthew, right? Might come as a surprise. Uh, that's what history would say, and we hold to that. Uh, its audience primarily is Jewish. Um, Matthew begins with a, a genealogy, a pedigree of Jesus. And he's, uh, the, the author is trying to convince the Jewish audience primarily about the divinity of Jesus. It's a big concern in the Gospel of Matthew. And he's kind of, kind of setting Jesus up as this uh, fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. That Jesus is this great teacher, this, this new sort of David figure, if you will. Or this new Moses figure. So there's a lot of Old Testament references in the Gospel of Matthew. Just brace yourself if you go home and read it, right? You should be aware of that. So verses 27 and 30, they say, And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? Verse 28. 
And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 29. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now when I first read that, I was like, man, Jesus, quit yelling at me. Like that's, <laughs> that's a really rude thing to say to somebody. Right? It's sort of like it recalls Jesus reaching down and grabbing Peter as he's sinking. And he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You have little faith. This word, little faith, is only found on the lips of Jesus in the New Testament. Paul doesn't use it. The apostles don't use it. It's just Jesus who uses this word. And he's jamming two Greek words together. And he's sort of creating a word. It's a, a combination. In the Greek, it's oligapistos. And it means little confidence or like little faithers, you people who have a little bit of faith. And it's, it is hard to see, is this just like you have a little bit and it needs to grow, or you have a deficit, right? It's, it's unclear what that is. I think it's somewhere in between. You lack the faith that you could have. You have a little bit, and it can build up into more. This is how Jesus is addressing these folks, and it was only used by him. I think there's a, a direct relationship between your relationship with God and your faith and the anxiety that you have. These things are all connected. Because if you believe that God loves you more than the birds or the flowers or the beasts or whatever, you would trust God, because they seem to be doing just fine. And so what would you worry about? Verse 31, it says, Everyone waits with bated breath. There it is. Thanks, Jake. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? And I'm sure you probably don't ask those questions. You probably ask different questions, like, how in the world am I going to retire? Or how will I pay for school? Or how am I going to pay for that stinking electric bill in August in Texas? It is massive. Or how in the world... Is anyone going to bother to take care of me as I get older? These are the questions that us as modern folk ask, right? And the ancient folk, they ask these questions. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? We ask a host of different questions. Verse 32 says, For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So that we're Gentiles, really, right? We need to recall what that word is. It is folks who are outside of the Jewish community also known as pagans. So pagans only believe what they see, the material world. And that's what they worry about, the material world. If that's all there is, then there's a lot to worry about. But those who believe in God believe in something other than the material things. And so that should lower and decrease our anxiety a little bit. For the pagans, security was all up to them. Right? If there is no God, then they had to worry about everything. Everything fell to them and their responsibility. But if we truly believe that God is in control of all things, then that should alleviate some of the control freak issues we might have in our life. And say, you know what? God is in control of maybe just a little bit. We could start there. And maybe the little faith that we place in God will build into more faith. When we do this, we act as if God doesn't exist. And if you believe in God, but you act like you control all things, 
It means that you ultimately don't trust God. Jesus in this passage, he equates worry with run after. This is the Greek. It's about what we most devote ourselves to, what we chase after, what we strive after. And so we know that God knows what we need, like the birds and the flowers. So, what can we do, right? What is the most applicable thing to do? And how do we shift our attention and our worry and our anxiety from this sort of space of not knowing what to do to trusting in God? How can we do that? Well, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you run after yourself, if you devote your attention to yourself, if you are the Lord of your own life, there's a lot to worry about. But if Jesus is truly Lord and Josh isn't, then I don't have a whole lot to worry about because it's not my kingdom to run. It's God's. And all that's required of me is to do the next thing and to take the next step and to walk humbly with God. That's all that's required of me. And that alleviates a little bit of pressure for me. As long as I'm Lord, I have a lot to worry about. I have a lot to manage. But when I understand that Jesus is Lord, it puts all things in proper perspective. Uh, Pastor Peter quoted um, a dead guy last week, a St. Augustine, and I think it bears repeating, right? His quote, I think, is very helpful when you think about anxiety and worry. Work as if it all depends on you, and pray as if it all depends on God. And the intersection of that is a cure for anxiety and worry. This is, uh, that last part, he did, that's not what St. Augustine said. I'm adding to it, right? Uh, but you have to work as if it all depends on you and pray as if it all depends on God. End quote. That intersection is a cure for anxiety and worry in your life. Jesus knows our worries and that they are rarely about the now. How many of you are worried right this instant about like the next second? Nobody, right? We are far more worried and concerned about, well, what's going to happen this afternoon? We're far more worried or concerned about what's going to happen Monday when I go back to work. Or we're going to be far more worried and concerned about next week or when you watch the news report tonight, or whatever it might be. Our worries are always about the future, not about right here and now. Folks going through recovery know this better than anybody else. An AA slogan is one day at a time, because they know that they cannot control the past, and they know that they cannot control the future. Right? They know that they can't change their story. Folks going through recovery, right? I was, I was an alcoholic, that's what it was. And they know they, they can't control the future. They might fall off the wagon later, but all they have to worry about is right here, right now, one day at a time. It is that sort of posture of our heart and mind that puts things in proper perspective. And so what do we do? What's our, our takeaway? Well, I want to quote my favorite theologian, which is Princess Anna from Frozen 2. And she says, all that's required is to do the next right thing. And while that's cute, that music just played perfectly for me. So, you know, while it's cute and true, I think there's a lot of truth to that. All that's required, and it's here at Chapwood, it's in our mission statement, is to take the next step. We're not talking about entire sanctification. We're not talking about 15 years from now. We're not talking about what do you do a month from now. We're not talking about 
15 steps down the road. We're saying, what is your next step? Take that. And then say, okay, I did it. What's my next step? It's when you break it down into just a simple next step. Those things are actionable, and they give us space to go, oh, okay, I can do that. I, I can't do that. No one can. But I can take one next step. And before we know it, it's a lifetime of obedience, of small next steps leading to God's perfect love that God is calling us into. And that's a beautiful path to walk. So three big takeaways for you today. If you're taking notes, I want, to, I want you to write these three things down. The first is we have to shift our devotion towards God because our devotion and our emotion are tied together. The second thing is worry makes things bigger than they really are and trust shrinks things down to manageable portions. And the third thing is clarity and direction are only found in faithful obedience to taking your next step with God. I think when we understand those three things, all of our anxiety and worry becomes focused, and we can all of a sudden do the next right thing. Worry ultimately is a choice for most of us. See my previous disclaimer on who this sermon is for. (laughs) But worry for most of us in general is a choice. We choose to stay there in that state of mind, and there's a way out, and that is to trust God and take small next steps. And so may we seek first God's kingdom, and his righteousness will be ultimately added to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.